0: To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His own blood and made us a kingdom and priest to God His Father, to Him be the glory and power forever. Amen. The Word of God guiding our meditation this evening is found in the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, one of life's frustrations is being told something you already know. Another frustration is forgetting something you already know. Those opposing frustrations are a challenge for our observance of Good Friday. Because those who have been Christians for some time already know what they are being told in the readings and sermons. And yet at the same time, we need to be reminded of these things that we too easily lose sight of or even forget. Paul recognizes that dynamic in the verse we just read. He begins by affirming what the Corinthians and we know. But then he goes on to tell it again anyway. Because they and we need to remember and take hold of it over and over again. What is it we know? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's use of grace here still has the sense of undeserved favor that we're used to, but in this case, its it's root meaning, the word's root meaning comes out. Gift. The apostle is focusing us not so much on our Savior's attitude toward us in this case as on the entirety and nature of what he did for us. It was no fair trade or payment for services rendered, not even a reward for being nice or good or lovable. It was instead entirely an unmerited, unearned, and extraordinary transfer of good from the Son of God to us sinners, a gift of immeasurable meaning and inestimable value, given not by some mere Galilean rabbi or Nazarene carpenter, but given by God's anointed one, the only begotten Son from eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And being God means that Christ had wealth beyond all imagining. His real estate holdings were not just properties, but planets. He controlled not just companies, but kingdoms. His treasure stores did not include just diamonds and gems, but the very sun and stars that gave them their sparkle. All the silver, gold, and platinum on earth were nothing in comparison to the precious metals adorning his throne room. And all the elements of the universe were his to enjoy or transform into baubles, toys, or jewelry. There was no power greater than his. There was nothing that he did not or could not have because he was the Son of God. And yet, even with all that wealth, There was something that disturbed him in his heavenly existence. Humanity was no longer in fellowship with him. The perfection of the Trinity's creation had been destroyed by the sin of the very first people, and ever since, Adams and Adam and Eve's children had only continued to add on to the enormity of their rebellion, sin after sin and offense after offense. Love had been replaced by hostility, holiness by corruption, freedom to choose what is good, by slavery to evil. And since nothing unholy or wicked, can exist in the presence of God. This meant that that not a single man, woman, or child would ever be able to join the Lord in heaven and, and share in the joys and wonders of paradise. Instead, every one of us, sinners all, would die and be condemned to hell for eternity with the devil and his evil angels because this is the price that God's justice demands for sin, for every sin of every sinner. The toddler's stubborn refusal to put on his jacket just as much as the elder's leering looks at a young woman on the beach. The wife's cutting insults as much as the husband's casual indifference, the billionaire's corrupt scheming for more wealth, as much as the homeless man's disrespect for property. And this was never just humanity's problem. It was your and my problem. As much as we would rather deny or ignore it, the truth is that we all are sinners deserving, not reward from God, but death and damnation. Yet because He loved us, because of God's grace and mercy, Christ made this His problem. And that meant making Himself poor. A price needed to be paid to set us free from our slavery to sin and to satisfy God's just anger against our disobedience And He willingly chose to pay that price for our sakes. He gave up His glory to take on flesh like ours in the womb of a virgin and to develop and grow and hunger and tire and hurt and stretch and strain just like us. He could bring none of His wealth with Him from heaven and never gained any on earth. He set aside His power And he submitted to parents and teachers and leaders and even corrupt authorities. He put himself under and obeyed the law which he himself had authored. He who had myriads of angels to attend him became a servant to sinners. And then, on that fateful Friday, he gave up the only thing he had left to give. The previous evening he had surrendered his freedom to a mob led by his traitorous disciple and surrendered his innocence to the kangaroo court that condemned him as a blasphemer for telling the truth that he was the Christ, the Son of God. And all through the morning he had surrendered his honor to mockers and soldiers and scoffers and spitters Surrendered his strength to exhaustion and thirst and the burden of a crossbeam and surrendered his body to scourge and thorns and splinters and nails. But that afternoon he impoverished himself fully for our sakes and for our sins, for my impatience and your selfish anger for your laziness and my failure to love, for our lies and for our betrayals, for our faithlessness and for our denials, for our refusals to listen to His Word and for our despising of His sacraments, for all the world's hating and thieving and murders and immoralities. He hung there on His cross with his body racked with pain, every muscle and bone aching, the raw wounds on his back screaming out, his head pounding, his throat scratching, his heart racing, and his lungs straining. And having completed his work and offered his self-sacrifice as the Lamb of God, he emptied himself with a final breath. It is Finished. He committed himself into his father's hands and he gave up his life for our sakes and for our sins. This was the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of the world. Now the first thing that his payment accomplished was the wiping out of our debt of sin. All of it for all the world. Everything that was ever owed for every offense against God was paid with the suffering and death of God's Son. Finished! The bill was canceled and the the records burned. This means that we sinners now stand before our Creator sinless as we were meant to be. There is nothing to keep us from His presence and nothing to keep us from paradise. We paid nothing. We did nothing. Jesus did it all. Trust it. Forgiveness is yours. And if the wiping out of our debt were all that Christ's sacrifice of His incredible riches achieved for us, that would be more than enough to, to fix our lives and more than enough for us to thank and praise and serve and obey Him forever and with everything that we are and have. But that was not all. And it was not enough for our Lord. He wanted to give us even more, far beyond what we might ever have asked or imagined. He didn't want to just get us out of debt through His poverty. He wanted to make us rich. Now don't start wondering where your millions are. We're not talking about money or stocks or bonds. We're talking about things much more valuable. The most important thing Christ added to our balance sheet was the transfer of his own perfect righteousness. He did not only take our sins on himself at the cross, he exchanged them for his holiness. We have a wealth of good works on our accounts that we never did. So now, when his father looks at us, he does not see sinners or strangers. He sees his dear children presenting his own son's obedience as their own. Yet, even that, is not the limit of the new riches that we have from our Lord. You may have heard how, how some billionaires are investing in the technology of transhumanism, trying to find ways to electronically preserve their consciousness in machines so that they can transcend their bodies and death. But you and I, as believers in Jesus, already have eternal life as our own personal possession. And it won't be confined to some cold, impersonal machine, but will be enjoyed in the perfect and blissful expanse of heaven where Jesus, our Savior, has gone ahead to prepare a place for us. You also know, if you pay any attention to news of the rich and famous that fortune and celebrity do not in any way guarantee the things that that every human soul needs and craves. They turn to therapists and trainers, to Buddhism and to Scientology, to to hedonism and political funding and all sorts of things that, that normal people and the poor could never indulge in, and they never find what they're seeking for but we have from Christ all the things that they long for. We have peace in our hearts because we have been set at peace with God. We have hope for our futures, no matter what the present is like, because we know we're headed to heaven. And no matter how tedious or tiresome our work or our poor lives may be, We have callings from Christ to serve in our world, so we have meaning and purpose. And that's still not all. When we feel weak, we get strength from His gifts and the means of grace, the the Scriptures, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, which give us everything that our souls require. When we feel alone or encircled, we have family. Christ as our loving brother, God as our dear Father, and all our fellow believers as our brothers and sisters. When we hurt, we have comfort from the Holy Spirit. And when we need direction, He guides and gives us wisdom from His Word. And when others hurt us, sin against us, aggravate us, annoy us, insult us, or exhaust us, we can be as generous with them as Christ was with those who abused and crucified Him, as generous as He is with us. You have a wealth of love and mercy and patience and understanding, a heart eager to care, and a lifetime to serve others as Jesus served you. And you know it. You know this grace. Through Christ's poverty, you have become rich. Too often, especially when as Christians we face opposition in our culture or feel lonely in our witness and confession, too often we feel like we have nothing, like we are the poorest and most disadvantaged in our society. But we are not. The family of God is wealthy in all the ways that matter. So remember it and live like it. (coughs) Enjoy those gifts of love and redemption, family and meaning, help and healing. Be generous with what you have been given, just as our Lord was generous to you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. And be patient as the Lord is patient with you. Put your gifts into service for others. And put the best construction on the words and actions of everyone in your life. Share the love and mercy you've been given. And share the gospel that saved you from your sins with other sinners who need saving. Give it away. You can afford it. This, the cross of Christ, was the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of the world. But we want always to remember, not just on Good Friday, that it was also the greatest transfer of wealth in your history, in my history, as well as the history not yet realized of your unbelieving friend, an unsaved neighbor. The Son of God gave up what was His so that He could give it to us. Give it to those who did not deserve it, but He loved us and did it anyway. This is grace. You know it. You have received it. This is what led our Lord Jesus Christ to the cross and even to death and a borrowed tomb. And this has made us rich. Amen. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.